It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lauritsen. Ready, 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 ready. It's an interesting idea, this concept of readiness. As we're starting this podcast, it's I feel a, a bit flummoxed on where to begin. And I feel flummoxed. And I'm not just using that to use the word <laughs> flummoxed, although it's a great word, is that I feel like with today's guest, she is a human being, a spirit that is so multidimensional, multifaceted. And, you know, we hear the term, say, Renaissance woman or multidimensional artist. We hear different phrases and terminologies that get thrown around, I think, colloquially. One phrase that I have been using lately to try and encapsulate a being like Kate Faust or other wonderful friends and colleagues that have many different passions and talents and foci is omniscopic creative chameleon. I just think that there's a certain chameleonic aspect to our guest today where she is so profoundly talented and wise and skilled in so many different arts and practices. So I guess without knowing exactly where to touch on, you know, the first thing that I think about, Kate, when I think of you is how many different things that I've experienced through you that have touched me from your music and your art, your channeling, your spiritual work, some of the amazing workshops that you're doing around equality and untethering whiteness. I mean, there's just so much we're going to dig into today. I feel like it's just going to be a it's going to be a paleontology session with you just digging up so many treasures. But I guess the first touchstone that I want to jump into is there seems to be sort of a, a narrative and a rhetoric in our society that is like you need to pick one thing, right? Like you're okay, well, in order to be successful, honey, you know, you you got to you got to pick one thing and you got to master it and run with it and do that. And we seem to elevate and celebrate people in our society from sports figures to artists of like, you know, there's this master songwriter or this master athlete or master painter. And it's such a myopic way of categorizing people. You seem to defy categorization. Like it's it's hard to describe you. And I think that's a really good thing. And so have you fought through this in your life or have you embraced it or both in the sense of I'm not going to pick one thing. I'm going to embrace all of my damn self. And y'all can't categorize me. I know that's kind of an amorphous way to kick this podcast off, but hell, let's go into it and see where it goes. Well, thank you. First of all, I'm just really allowing myself to receive all the beautiful things that you just said to me and bless me with those kind words. And it's really important, I think, for us to receive blessings, to receive, to be allowed to say, yes, you know, and I think my favorite thing you said was that you got to experience many different things through the gifts that I have to share. And that's the best thing anyone could ever say to me. So thank you, <laughs> first of all. Second of all, absolutely, I have battled with that. You know, I didn't grow up seeing an example of someone being openly, as you say, multidimensional. My parents both have worked in their same job for my dad's been with his company for 30 years. My mom's been at her job for 25 years. I grew up in Amish country in the middle of Pennsylvania. I come from lineages of ancestors who were mostly farmers or they were mostly factory workers before they had to leave their native lands. And so, but what I realized is that actually all people are multidimensional naturally. You know, my father 
is he's a mechanic and he works at this company that he's been at for 30 years, but he was also a drummer. And that's how he met my mom. His band was playing at her school, at her college. And so my dad, my mom was a great, is still a great reader. You know, she was a manager at this clinic, but she was also an incredible mother, is an incredible mother and grandmother. She was always inspiring me to read about fairy tales. You know, we always had Celtic knots and Irish imagery painted all over our home. Both of them loved to collect like trinkets, like the Everybody is multidimensional. I think that that the systems that we live in are really invested in divide and conquer. And, and divide and conquer is not just, as you mentioned, untethering from whiteness. It starts in that way, but it's also like we have to divide and conquer ourselves. We have to make ourselves small. We have to compartmentalize these aspects of ourselves. We're not allowed to show up in our abundance. And abundance is... It's what everyone says they're after, but they're at the same time kind of denying their their own abundance. And and you, I remember, I think you responded because I posted this quote that, you know, that fear of being too much is a fear of our abundance. You know, I always was a very intense person. I was always incredibly creative, huge imagination. And I also had a lot of discipline to master different crafts. So I wanted to sit at the keyboard and learn it. I wanted to learn music theory. I wanted to be able to look at a symphonic, you know, orchestral, you know, sheet music and understand what's going on. And I want to talk to dead people. And I want to, I even untethering from whiteness, that wasn't, that's not something that I'm like, I just did it as an offering because I was like, I have an abundance of compassion and growth in this area and curiosity and I'm good at holding space for people through really difficult esoteric things. I have a talent for seeing connections in things that people don't always see. And I have a talent for being able to go into really uncomfortable places with a lot of levity and laughter because I don't take myself seriously. I take my work seriously, but I don't take myself seriously. So I was like, I can just hold space for people to, as you said, experience this experience something in themselves that's already there. That's what art does. It gives us the space to be expansive. And it gives us the space to be, again, as I believe all people are, we're naturally multidimensional beings. The earth is multidimensional. It doesn't, you know, Mother Earth isn't like only trees. (laughs) She's like flowers, grain, mushrooms, dirt, (laughs) rain. You know what I'm saying? So like, I just think that that's our our natural human inheritance upon the earth is to be multidimensional, to be abundant, to be, to rest, you know, to labor, to share, to die, to be reborn. And so I'm invested in sort of being like, what are the things that are taking you out of that? And at least in the work with like sound spirit and untethering, and but I would say even in my music, I have... I'm in this process of of birthing myself in this way, and I've been doing it for a while. Hey, do you want to come along? Or hey, maybe this offering is serving you. Please come and join us, you know, or don't, you know? <laughs> so I guess that's a long answer to your question, but did I struggle with it? Yeah. But that struggle was also like a struggle of kind of that I've always had, which was coming into this world and just being like, this doesn't feel right. Well, that doesn't feel right. Wait. That doesn't seem right. And then finding out that other people also feel that way and being like, 
So everyone else who's given themselves permission to be who they truly are has given helped me to do the same. And I feel like I would like to offer that same gift to other people just by just by being. Yeah. It feels like there is a lot of responses that I, I get sometimes in just having conversations with people, not necessarily even friends or colleagues, but perhaps, I mean, stranger is such a weird word because I feel like I'm the kind of person who warms up to people pretty quickly. Right before the podcast started, Whitney and, and Kate and myself were talking about introversion and extroversion. And I've always been, I guess, classically put in the extrovert category because even as a child, I would run up to someone and be like, hey, what's your name? What are you up to? What are you creating? Da da da. And I think I still have kind of that, I don't know, golden retriever type of energy as an adult. But, you know, talking about this this aspect of being multidimensional or multi-talented or having many passions in life, a thing that I've heard, I guess, over the years from people is like, oh, I could, you know, I could never really sing. I really want to sing, right? I, I've always wanted to draw, but I could never do that. I'm quote, I'm not really an artistic person or even deeper, I'm not really a creative person. And I think it's super interesting that that there's these aspects of compartmentalization. I mean, we could blow this conversation out much broader in terms of how we separate and define and com- compartmentalize a lot of things. But in, in terms of the creativity, it's like people not necessarily acknowledging or honoring how creative they are. It's like, oh, if I don't draw or sing or paint or write or whatever the thing is, then I'm, quote, not creative. But I think it's important we we maybe have a conversation about expanding what the definition of creativity is, because it seems to be a much broader aspect of life in the sense, you know, of whether that's, you know, Whitney and I starting a business or Kate, you know, you doing your coaching or wh- whatever the hell it might be. I think just people are really I see people being like down on themselves in many ways of, oh, I'm not creative. I'm not an artist. I really want to do it. But I don't know. There, there seems to be just a massive disacknowledgement of what creativity is and helping people to acknowledge how creative they're already being in their lives. Absolutely. And I would say too, thank you for saying that because I feel like I got, especially growing up, like, oh, you're so creative. And, you know, I think it's a fundamental lie that people don't think that they're creative. And it's not a lie that that is innate to themselves. It's a lie that, again, if you think about the systems that we live in, their goal is to control. And I've talked about this before, but, you know, creative energy is sexual energy. And, you know, part of the way that Capitalism, colonialism, white supremacy, all these things come together is through suppressing our sexual energy. And sexual energy, I don't even mean like having sex. I mean just being connected to your body. We've been inundated with a religion. And, you know, if you're of European ancestry, your ancestors were colonized a thousand years ago from this religion. And more people around the world have been colonized by it since then which is very disembodied, you know, which views the body as like a principal marker of of sin. And the body is where creativity happens. And everybody has a body. And in my belief, in my understanding of the way that the soul moves and the spirit moves from lifetime to lifetime, you know, our soul is co-creating and choosing our body and choosing, you know, these creative experiences to, to have with the collective, with spirit. And so there's nothing about anything on this earth, anything that's organic and of the earth that is not creative. But I think also a lot of people 
people, their sense of creativity is also flattened because they've been made to be a consumer or a laborer rather than just a human being. And so, and sometimes I think people mistake the ability to replicate as the ability to create. Replication is not the same thing as creation. Replication doesn't have that same organic, authentic feeling because it it lacks sexual creative energy. It lacks the energy of the body. It lacks the energy of the soul, which travels, you know, through many dimensions. And so, you know, that's why art is so important and creative art, because you just know what's we, we still manage to have a bullshit meter. You know, we still manage to know when we hear the real thing or see or feel the real thing to some degree. And that gives me hope. But I think creativity is everything. It's how you craft an email. It's how you make your bed. It's the collar you choose for your your pet. It's the way you style your hair. It's the way you craft a meal for yourself. It's the way you create your relationships with other people. It's the way you create, even if you're not an entrepreneur, the way you create your position and your place and your role and your relationships at your workplace. Like there's so many ways that we're creating. And I think if we actually were allowed to be more creative, we would, I think, be kinder people because if you realize you're creating something, then you feel responsible for it. And then you have to steward it, you know? So there's a thing about creativity is it it requires you to be responsible. It requires you to be authentic. It requires you to step up. So if you just want to take what's given to you, then you can blame everyone else for everything. You know, then you can scapegoat, you know, marginalized people, right? You know what I'm saying? So so if we're in our full creative power, then we're also in a full sense of individual and community responsibility for how things turn out, for what the outcomes are. And so I think that creativity is not just people think that like in a capitalist, you know, sort of mechanized mindset, they're always thinking about efficiency. They're always thinking about like productivity. And you guys have spoken about the hustle thing. And it's like, you know, Tesla and Edison didn't get their ideas from like mechanizing their consciousness. They had to sit kind of and do nothing and fail a bunch of times. You know, that's fertile ground. And so, but again, if the society only wants to replicate its means of creating capital for certain people, then it, it's, it's not invested in your creativity or it's only invested in certain kinds of creativity, more masculine, quote unquote, efficient, like let's hack this creativity. I'm not interested in becoming more efficient or productive. I'm not interested in being a machine. I am a real life human woman. That's what I want to be on this earth. That's it. And that's enough for me. And that's brilliant. And that has so much abundance. And I also have the masculine energy to be able to create a container that allows me to deliver it, to harness that chaos and creativity and deliver it to people and to to build relationships and containers to facilitate the work. So I think creativity is not just, did I paint a picture? Did I paint in the lines? It's Am I being my full self? Am I willing to know what my power is? And do I have the cojones to take responsibility for that? Because <laughs> if you're going to show the fuck up in life, then you're going to have to take responsibility for it. And not everybody's willing to do that. Yeah. And that's the piece. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's just brilliant. And I think it echoes, Kate, you know, something Whitney and I have been talking about a lot, not just here on the podcast, but offline especially. 
this concept of slowing down, being more present, not being so, you just said robotic, right? And and Whitney, I'm curious, like in this period that you've been traveling and slowing down and spending time with family, if this has reconnected you to a sense of more peace and humanity and not being so focused on hustling and overworking? Because I think it's it's part and parcel of this creativity conversation. Like, have you noticed a correlation with that wit of like slowing down, taking more time and that making you feel more creative at all? It's really interesting because I think what I'm recognizing a lot in this past year, and it's not necessarily a, about the events that have happened in 2020, I, I think, or maybe it is actually, I, it's hard to say, because this year, a lot of us have been shifting our perceptions on life because of what's happening externally. It's been a really intense le- year for us globally. It's been an intense year for us in the United States with the election. And I think that brings a lot of things to the surface. And then, of course, when you add in something like travel, it can affect us on a deeper level as well. And and for me, taking two months to travel across the country was certainly really eye-opening, but in some ways, not as much as I expected, I suppose. And I think when I was preparing for this trip, I thought, like, this trip is going to shift me in all these huge ways. And it might have. I think sometimes it takes a while for it all to sink in. But I think I've also noticed how things don't necessarily happen as quickly or as overtly as we think that that they're going to, especially when we go into something like that with an expectation. Like, if I go on this trip, then I'm going to get this outcome. And many of us have found that that's not usually true. Like A lot of the times, the big outcomes that happen in our lives happen when we're not expecting them. And they surprise us and they might overwhelm us because we don't feel prepared for them. But that is often where the big shift is because we're forced to deal with something. And, and I found being somebody who loves to prepare, I've talked about this in some previous episodes, how I feel really comfortable preparing. I feel safer emotionally when I can plan everything out. And throughout my trip, there's been a few big things that have happened on the road and off the road. And I certainly wasn't expecting them, but they also didn't surprise me. Like They were all possibilities in my mind. And I had to deal with them in the moment. And even though they were possibilities, they still felt stressful to me. And I still had to mentally work my way through them. And then in terms of my creativity, I think a lot of the times I've thought, a break would help a lot, like it would be very healing. And one thing I've been reflecting on a lot this year is either a break really isn't the answer as much as we think it is, because I I think we've been conditioned as a society to feel like, oh, you just need a break. right? And and then once you take this break, you're going to feel better. But a lot of us just jump right back into life after a break. And then we're back to our, our old ways. So a break doesn't necessarily fix us or heal us or change us in as dramatic of a way as we think it's going to. But the other big thing I've thought a lot about is that maybe we need a lot more time. So perhaps a break would help, but it has to be a certain amount of time. And I think that we are not really set up to give ourselves as much time as we actually need And so as I've reflected on what I've done throughout this year, and especially during these recent trips, I think, wow, like, I don't even know if that was enough time. I think for most people, they think being away from home for two months is so much time. And it is. But I could have gone for longer. And I wonder, like, 
how would I have shifted if it had been any longer than that, right? And would there ever be a point where it would feel like enough or does it never feel like enough to transform? And then maybe the transformation is happening there, but in a lot more subtle way. So it's certainly fascinating. And and also, as I alluded to, I think it just takes some time after that break, after that time away for you to start to see the ripple effects. And so I'm curious how I'm going to feel the next few weeks now that I've returned from the trip and, and see how it's impacted me in ways I haven't even noticed yet. You can't really rush things, right? I mean, this is this is something that if we look at nature and we look at the symbolism of, say, the chrysalis of the caterpillar just literally dissolving its body and reforming into a butterfly, or we look at a snake molting its skin. You know, I saw this Ramdas quote that was being passed around, I think maybe last week about, you know, it take it takes the time that it takes. You can't rip the skin off of the snake. The snake has to molt in the time it takes to molt. And I think this is so relevant, not only with with what you're going through, Whitney, or, or with a lot of the transformational work, Kate, that you're doing, but certainly for myself, I feel like I am I am also in a death and rebirth period right now. I had a friend named Jera who messaged me a, a few days ago. And Kate, I didn't tell you about this, but I actually was in a motorcycle accident last week. I haven't talked about it on social media, but I shattered my clavicle. And my friend Jera, who is also doing some really incredible healing work, she said, you're going through a rebirth. I said, what do you mean? I mean, on, on a level, I knew what she meant, but she's like, well, you know that when when babies are born, that that's the most common injury in the birth process is babies will fracture their clavicle. I had never heard that in my life, ever. So I've been down this rabbit hole of the symbolism. And and to me, I think just because of the way that I interpret symbology and metaphor, it resonates deeper in my body for some reason. Like even as a child looking at Greek mythology, Egyptian mythology, symbology, when she said that, I was like, damn, like of all the things to break, I broke my clavicle. She's like, you're like about to come out the birth canal, dude. And so that just like, it even gives me chills just talking about it right now. But I think to echo what Whitney said. Which side? Which side is it on? Oh, oh boy. Oh, boy. I'm afraid to open this portal, Kate. Oh, I'm just curious. Oh, I obviously. And the right side means that that was your feminine. <laughs> well, no, it does. It does. It does. Okay. In um, my y- mind. It, it was my right clavicle. Yeah. yeah it's your masculine side. It's my masculine. It's that divine masculine for sure. I, I woke up with a small sty on my right eye because I'm also going through a rebirth. But also, I just want to say I'm so glad you're safe. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And the, how we share things on social media is so strange. And I'm sorry that you're injured and in pain, but I'm glad that you're taking support from your community and you're seeing uh, the body is is the first place again. It's the place of creativity. and It's also the place that's always communicating what our soul is trying to to explain to us for sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, this idea of, boy, this is kind of all interrelated. And I want to put this out for all three of us to discuss is, is this intersection of suffering, this intersection of patience, this intersection of surrender and allowing, you know, it feels like that this time for me in mending from this injury and waiting for surgery and literally being in physical pain every single day, not only engenders to me a deeper sense of compassion for other people, other beings that are literally in physical or emotional pain every single day, whether that's through disease or injury or oppression or systemic racism, or there's a million different reasons someone could be literally in pain every single day, or the point where it's kind of just in the background all of the time. 
And for me, even in this kind of microcosm of, of living through the pain, it's really kind of helped me meditate more on the idea of suffering and that if I don't, I don't even know if assign a meaning or find a meaning or cultivate or a meaning, a deeper meaning to this period, then it feels like suffering without meaning it feels kind of hopeless, right? I don't know if hopeless is the right word. I'm, I'm guess I'm de- deconstructing this in real time with both of you right now. I'm just kind of sitting in the middle of what is the nature of suffering? Why do we as humans experience suffering? What are the spiritual growth ramifications of experiencing suffering? Like I'm really sitting in all this right now. Well, I feel like I can take that up as you're speaking about it. Because I, I actually think this is a very complicated question. And one thing I really love about you, Jason, is that you're always willing to go into that place of nuance, which is where I live. Also, I live in that gray space, that deep time, deep space. And what I understand about suffering from my own suffering, and it's interesting, part of my rebirth, actually, <laughs> these past few months was coming to a place of you know, for me, I suffered from PTSD and severe anxiety for most of my 20s. Trigger warning, I was sexually assaulted when I was 20 years old while I was on tour with my band at the time. And that, so the 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 pain in the body, if you've ever experienced PTSD or severe panic attacks, you know, like pain in your body. And I would also have a lot of pain in my body that was very like, I always had actually the pain I would feel in my body. I guess you'd say it was somatic was I always felt like there was like a somebody had like cut my ribs open. That's how I felt for about seven years after it happened. And yeah, it was literally like or, you know, if I was get when I started to be able to be physical with particularly with men again, I would feel that feeling like my whole rib case is is just I think in a song I described it, break my chest and crush my ribs. That's how I felt like that. It sounds like a a heavy metal lyric, break my chest, (laughs) but it it wasn't, it was actually like, I mean, it was, it was like real heavy metal in the sense that I was like, no, like this is how it feels all the time. This is there. and, And, and when it's not like a severe physical pain in the body, it's a it's like the I always I describe it sometimes as like the hum of the refrigerator in the background is that you you start to learn how to function with it there, but it's always kind of like kind of mucking everything. You know, there's like some kind of buzz going on, so you're not really cl- clearly receiving everything, right? And I had an experience in September where I was I had forgiven this person and I I haven't experienced any of my PTSD symptoms since 2016 fully when I had my spiritual awakening in 2017 is when things really started to to change for me. But and I forgave this person and I I wrote this in a piece, which if you guys want to link to it, it's called I think it's called Trauma Triggers and Time Travel. And it's about like timeline jumping and the, the nature of trauma that it takes us back to our moment of trauma so that our body not our minds, because I was always like, why can't I be over this? You know, like in my mind, I was like, I should be fine. And my body was like, no, (laughs) definitely not fine. (laughs) And so this, so I forgave him. I I had a moment, a a healing uh, with myself where I forgave him, really worked through it in my body and came to a place of peace. And I'll kind of share what I learned about suffering from that. And I certainly don't claim to be an expert on suffering, but I'm an expert on my suffering because it was a great teacher for me. 
And I think, too, a lot of us believe that suffering is how we learn. And I want to state that, like, on a multidimensional level, yes, but it doesn't have to be. And you can get, if you're willing to, again, take responsibility for, like, your spiritual growth, you can start to get more subtle in how you work with your lessons. But also... This is one of those reasons where people are like, "Is how could God be real? Like if people are doing this and it also comes to the notion of deserving. Did I deserve to be sexually assaulted? Uh, no. You know, when this person reached out to me, it was crazy. I was meditating. And while I was in meditation, I was talking to my higher self and my higher self said, Kate, you need to love in ways that are greater than you've ever knew, known possible. And I saw some other visions during that meditation. And then I just got on my computer, was checking my email, and I got a text from a number I didn't recognize. And I knew that it was him. And I have, he has not reached out to me for like 10 years. And I knew what was happening. I was like, oh, he needs my forgiveness. I forgave him, but I never told him. I didn't want to reach out to him, but he's suffering. And I have a chance to relieve his suffering. Does he deserve it? No, I guess not. But does he not deserve it? I don't know. I, I'm throwing away the notion of deserving. Did Donald Trump deserve to be president? No. <laughs> you know, like, again, to me, the notion of deserving is so bound up in capitalism, white supremacy, patriarchy. Who deserves what? You know, if you hustle enough, then you deserve. Well, we know that's not true because there's plenty of people who hustle and don't get what they deserve. And there's plenty of people who take and take and take and take and take and get more than they quote unquote deserve. You know, I didn't deserve to be harmed by this person, but I also believe this person doesn't deserve to suffer for the rest of their life feeling deep remorse and self-hatred about what they did to me when I have moved on. I have moved on from it. I don't think about it often. I find myself talking about it more in this way because I feel like people need to see that it's possible. And again, not as a means to be like, if you don't forgive the person who traumatized you, then you're not spiritual. No, 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 no. I'm just telling you, this is how it was for me. And it's not something people like to talk about. I called him up and he was shocked that I spoke to him. And I just said, listen, like, I forgive you. I even did a contract, like a soul contract revocation in the the spiritual space shamans that are listening will know what I'm talking about. I said his full name and I said, I release you from any karmic contracts in this and every lifetime. I release you. I bless you. I, I don't, please don't keep thinking about me, please. I just was like, I hope that you can learn to love yourself again someday. So you never hurt anyone the way you hurt me, you know? And he started, you know, weeping and and I had a moment where I got to be like, and I actually got curious for, I was just like, how has this been for you all these years? Because like, it was, it was devastating for me. It took away my 20s. I have years of my life that I don't even remember because like, like I've met people in LA that met me in Philly and I don't remember who they are. I don't remember because I wasn't in my body. It's not like I was on drugs. I was traumatized. I was outside of my body. I don't remember a lot of things that happened in those years after. And I really felt for a long time like a victim and like I got, I didn't deserve to have this taken away from me and I don't deserve to be suffering. But it's just like, 
those are all valid things to feel. I'm not trying to invalidate people's feelings about their suffering and even the meaning making, Jason. I have clients come to me for readings and they're like, what's the spiritual meaning behind this crazy, horrible, atrocious thing that happened to me? And am I, and I'm just like, there, why do you need that? Why do you need that? Do you need, do you even need your suffering to be productive? Can't you just let yourself suffer? Like an animal breaks their leg and it heals or it doesn't. And they limp and they like, it's like, you're allowed to suffer. And you're allowed to loaf around in your suffering. And Whitney, you spoke to this too. And it takes time. You don't need to make sense of it in the first five minutes of like, you fell on the ground. You're like, <laughs> shit, my clavicle's breaking. Am I rebirthing right now? <laughs> the spirits are coming. <laughs> I'm enlightened. It's like, can you just, can even with this, like, even with the pandemic, You've seen it like we can't even we can't even stay in our fucking houses for two weeks without shit falling apart. We have not built a world or a society that can sustain being human on the earth. And so, like, I think it's great that you found spiritual meaning, but I also feel like you don't have to. And some, when my clients come to me with these like incredibly horrible things, I'm just like, babes, instead of searching for meaning right now, let's just let's just sink into your body and feel your grief about this. I feel like sometimes the meaning making is a resistance to what is. Wow. And the invitation is, and this year the invitation too has been, can we just be with what is? Can we be with the fact that the earth is in the state it's in and that we've been put on timeout and that 230,000 people have are dying unnecessarily and that, yeah, you have to fucking wear a mask. You do. No, you're probably not going to die, but somebody else might. And I don't know if you've realized this, but you live on a planet with other people and they, they need things from you. Do not villainize people for needing things because you need things too. Oh yeah. You need that unemployment, don't you? Okay. You need something, right? And also, I mean, it just the uprisings after the, the execution of George Floyd and everything like that. It's like, uh, especially for white folks, whiteness is, is built around not being with what is <laughs> and creating sort of like an imaginary universe that you get to live in unconsciously and everyone else <laughs> has to be like subject to somehow. And so it's like, no, can you just be with what is? Can you just stop like reposting memes without actually doing any emotional labor? Like, please don't change your profile picture. Just fucking do the work. Like, please don't read a book for a week and then tell me you get it. No, please like let this access you. Stop filling your brain with terminologies that your spirit, your heart, your soul, your body can't recognize. Let yourself be accessed by life, by the the needs, the humanity, the precariousness, the deservingness, the undeservingness, the meaningness, the meaninglessness of everything. And that's where we become. That's where creativity lives. Right. But it's it's it doesn't it doesn't work like Whitney was saying, just when we want to. It takes time. And I think taking a break, like you're saying, Whitney, it's like it doesn't always do as good if you just go back to, quote unquote, normal. It's how can we shift and become more human? Taking a break, too, is something we we also feel like we have to earn that, too. So it's like, again, and it has to have meaning like I'm going to take this trip and it's going to change my life. And it's like, well, maybe it's not. Or, or maybe it's not going to this week, you know, <laughs> maybe you won't understand. Maybe you won't understand what you experienced until six months from now. And I think that also 
might be part of like the capitalistic mentality is that a lot of us are sold these instant solutions. Like if you just do this, you're instantly going to feel better. So if you go on this trip, then you're going to feel better. And granted, I took this trip on my own and it was at my own pace. And, you know, there was no financial agenda for, for me or anyone else by me taking this trip. But when you're speaking, I'm thinking about how many people go on retreats and things like that. And retreats are so marketed about this transformation as if you go for just a couple days or a week and you're a different person. And we want to believe that. That sounds so appealing. But <laughs> if you have enough experiences, you know, in a way I was doing my own retreat and it wasn't set up like to be a retreat, but it had moments that are similar to what you might experience if you went on a structured retreat. And I feel like I got just as many, if not more benefits from doing that in my own structure and my own time. And I, I just feel like there's we've talked about this in so many episodes that a lot of people want to sell you this idea that you can transform really quickly if you just do the XYZ, whether that's going somewhere or doing something, following a formula. And it doesn't work that way. We can't control our outcomes as much as we would like to think. And I think we have to examine and question anytime someone says, you're going to get a result if you do this, we should start you know, questioning, like, is that actually true? Or are you just saying that for your own benefit? Well, and, and thank you for saying that, especially as someone who's like, again, I'm a musician and an artist first, but I am working in this like spirituality, wellness, like education space as well. I'm aware of that. Of that. And, and what I'll also say to that, Whitney, is that actually sometimes they do work. And that's just the, th the problem, <laughs> you know, is that like you will manifest some bullshit. You will. You 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 will manifest your like matrix dream of like uh, the boyfriend that looks good on paper that you don't actually love. That doesn't actually, you know what I mean? You will manifest that extra money. And just to realize you don't fucking feel any different. So, so that's the, that's the, like, that's the beauty is, is like, it doesn't work or it works the way it's meant to, which is like, it tells you, no, this ain't it for you. Or again, you get the bullshit that you think you want and you just stay in the cycle. And, and I think too, like, I'll say this, um, like I launched Sound Spirit, which is, um, the school for creative alchemy. That's what it's letting me know that it's called. And it's, it's a, like a, a community for spiritual people to learn and, and educate themselves and empower themselves. I also do untethering from whiteness. All of that was birthed this past summer. And I'm really grateful because especially with untethering from whiteness, I've always held these beliefs that I have about the systems that we live in politically. But I felt kind of like as an artist and a spiritual person, like, do I get to talk about that? And like, I was nervous about being visible in what I what I'm saying, because again, like if you're going to be visible, then you're responsible, right, for for that. But I think this is the thing that's happening right now is um, a lot of people are having spiritual awakenings or some kind of awakening just from the events of this past year. And there's a lot of ways where like with spirituality, it's become it's getting kind of saturated in certain areas of the Internet. And so then again, it, it ceases to be creative and it just starts to replicate the same little marketing ploy. And suddenly we're talking about manifesting abundance without examining 
like where our framework for any of these things come from. Like what is your, if you're manifesting a partner and you haven't deconstructed patriarchy and white supremacy and capitalism, then yeah, you might get that partner, but you're going to get some bullshit too. You can manifest some money if you haven't deconstructed the systems that are built around it and why it even exists and what it means, then to me, it's fundamentally incomplete. So it became aware to me in that how sound spirit is is grounded. It's in a foundation of like liberation and maybe even sort of like spirituality that's very based in collective liberation, the liberation of the earth. And that's like a big word. So I'm not at like acting like that's a destination we're going to arrive at. I'm saying that's like the journey that I know I'm always on and that that I believe the people in my community and the people who will come to my community are on in some way, shape or form. And so, you know, that the fast track spirituality, it feels really good, especially in like now that we're all we can't hang out as much. We got to be on our screens. We get to have our luxury little retreats or we get to go. Um, repost this meme about like self-worth and money and, you know, don't pay attention to what you don't like, metaphysics and stuff. And so I think that, you know, it's really important if that's like starting to happen, that there are people in the community who do call themselves spiritual, who are like understanding that the world we live in, like we're, our bodies are politicized and they're not separate from the world we live in. And if our spirit chose our body, then it chose some of the lessons and it chose some of the weapons and it chose some of the, the hardships as a way to learn. Because I believe uh, this kind of circles back to your question, Jason. I believe, especially from talking to people who've crossed over, how people choose to learn. And what I'm talking about, I'm not talking about learning on a personality level. I'm talking about learning and expanding on the level of a soul that travels through many lifetimes. And I personally believe in many lifetimes because I've experienced several lifetimes of mine. I have talked to people who have crossed over and learned about like their different illnesses. And so what you start to, what starts to happen when you go deeper into this work is you let go of the notion of deservingness. You let go of, again, like that person doesn't deserve to suffer. That's true. And yet they are suffering, so there's something going on that you and I are not privy to. I don't wish that on anyone. I don't wish my own suffering on myself, but I'll also say I don't regret anything that's happened to me. I don't regret any of my experiences. I am fully, deeply, totally body, mind, soul in love with this person that's speaking to you right now. I am in love with this soul and this weird like expansive multidimensional artist weirdo that I am. And every little bit of her, all of the things she's been through, I just love them to the bones of me. And so I have stopped judging how she has suffered or how she might suffer. And I've stopped trying to make some ultimate meaning. I know that I can say that my experiences make it so that what I find is a lot of times when when I talk about these things, people people resonate with it because they know that I know, you know, not that I know them, but I know me and I know me because I had to get, I got crushed, fully crushed. And again, I've said this before, I found someone in that journey of rebirthing that I really love and respect. And 
to your point, Jason, I, I had an energy clearing a few weeks after that happened. And I told this practitioner, I was like, I forgave this person. And I did a whole contract revocation because she kept saying, you're in the black zone. And I was like, what's that? And then I told her, she's like, did she was kind of asking me questions. And I told her what happened. And she was like, oh, okay, that makes sense why you're in the black zone. And I was like, what's the black zone? And she was like, the black zone is usually where people go right before they cross over or right after when they're trying to be forgiven or forgive people so they don't carry heavy karma between lifetimes. And I was like, oh, I just unlocked like another level because I did something that a lot of people don't do till they get to their deathbed is I forgave the unforgivable. And, and I'm not saying that as like a feat, you know, like I'm not saying that as, again, like it should be anyone's goal. But the irony of that too, and I've said this before, is that it was easy. It was easy. It was actually like talking to an old friend and it was like, oh, he's been suffering too. And I stopped seeing it as victim and abuser, oppressor, oppressed. I started to see it as two souls who cho- chose to learn a terrible lesson together. And I wish we hadn't, but we did. <laughs> and I don't regret that anymore. I hope that he doesn't regret that anymore. I hope that he is humbled by it and he learns and he continues to be shifted by this experience now for himself of experiencing forgiveness from me and from himself. But so, yeah, I can wax poetic about suffering, but I don't worship it. But I and I'm like any human being. I'm not like, gee, let's go, you know, but I am definitely that friend that's like, oh, this is great. I, I feel like I'm always saying that to my clients who who get readings with me. I'm like, oh, you're at a really beautiful point in your life right now. I know it doesn't seem like it, <laughs> but like a year from now, like shit is going to be popping and you're going to be like, wow, yes. The three of us are in similar yet different spaces in terms of rebirth and redefining ourselves. You know, Whitney, you as well, you've been in this process of reimagining your brand and your direction and, and your creative vision. And you know, I'd love for you to jump in too, because I think in this process of letting go, you're talking about forgiveness, Kate, you're talking about rebirth. I mean, there's so many intersecting topics we're getting into. It's almost like, boy, what is the question I want to ask? Because I'd love for you to jump in on this, Whitney, because you're you're in a similar space of, it's like sometimes we want to cling to or have one hand behind us holding on to the familiar because it's, quote, safe, the illusion of safety, versus fully leaning into the thing that's coming toward us, right? And and I'm curious, Whit, if you're in a space like that of maybe you feel like you're clinging on to something old and familiar and not fully like jumping into like what the new thing is. I don't feel a sense of clinging, I I feel more of a sense of curiosity and more like a neutral feeling about things like, okay, I'm just going to do more surrendering and noticing. And uh, I'm sure that there are elements of me that cling without me even fully realizing it. It, I think it's hard to admit that sometimes, you know, but I, I don't consciously know of any in this moment. It's certainly been interesting coming back from the trip, which has only been like three or four days since I returned and just kind of sitting with it and taking my time. And I think what's more interesting is when I notice, maybe this is part of the clinging, when I notice myself feeling like I should be doing more, like it's not okay to relax. I've I've found that energetically, I'm still recovering from that trip and absorbing everything from it. And sitting 
in a lot of silence and spending a lot of time by myself and sleeping a lot. I was actually really excited today because I, I use this app that keeps track of my approximate sleep debt. And I think for the first time since I downloaded this app a few months ago that I'm at zero sleep debt because I've been getting so much sleep since returning from this trip. And it was just so satisfying to see that because sleep debt is a huge issue. And giving myself that permission to ease myself back into not just whatever life feels like in Los Angeles versus wherever else I've been in the country, but being easing myself into the work again, because I can work from anywhere. So I was working throughout my trip. But on my way back, I was working a lot less because I was driving so much. And I felt this like tension and pressure and constant questioning, like, am I doing enough work? Am I behind in anything? And that mounts, that grows each day. And I think that to me might be some of the clinging that you're describing, Jason, is clinging to this old productivity and efficiency mindset that I'm trying to whittle away because I haven't found that that really serves me. And when I jump into my to-do list and my email inbox and I look at my calendar again, and I notice that there really isn't much urgency there. In fact, (laughs) even today, I reached out to somebody who had requested something from me over the weekend. I reached out today on Tuesday and I said, hey, just so you know, I'm still reintegrating and and just been a little slower than expected. And his response was, oh, don't worry about it. As long as you get it to me at the end of the week, that's fine. Even next week will be fine. And I was so relieved (laughs) to receive that message. And it showed me that a lot of the times this pressure is so self-imposed or really in our heads. And we really benefit from communicating very clearly with people throughout the process and not making assumptions because sometimes those assumptions work against us. And then we're sitting around with all this anxiety and these feelings of being behind when they're really not actually there. And that to me is so refreshing. Every once in a while, the reality is that we are behind and that we missed a deadline or something. But most of us have been through that come out on the other side and realize it's really not that bad. And we have to wake up to the fact that our society is built around productivity and efficiency, and we're encouraged to be workaholics. So (laughs) of course, there's a lot of pressure and there are a lot of deadlines in our society right now, but we don't really have to abide by that all the time. I think it's, it's often rare that we need to fulfill a deadline there aren't that many timelines that are so strict that if we miss them, it's the it's like a huge consequence. Yeah, this is kind of like an offshoot of something that I've been feeling too, which I think could be characterized as an internal pressure to be more creative, not just creative, but but package and release the creativity in a very specific way. Here's what I mean by that. Like throughout the entire pandemic period, I've received kind of a diverse amount of the same kind of messaging, which is like, hey, if you're at home and you know you can't go out and we're all on lockdown and, and you have this period, you, quote, ought to make the most of it by being productive, being creative, releasing new things. And one of the thought forms that I've been battling or the, these, this limiting belief is like, Oh, dude, like, look at all your friends who are releasing albums and writing books and doing all this shit. What the fuck have you done? You know, and it's been this kind of monstrous thing that I've battled of 
you know, and like e- even the new stuff you've been releasing, Kate, like full disclosure, like I'm like, God, like this is so good. Like she's releasing new music. All my other friends who are musicians and artists are releasing stuff. And I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? It's been this bizarre pressure. You know what I mean? Of like, dude, what the fuck are you like? You're just laying there doing nothing, you bastard. <laughs> well, to be fair, the song I released is a song I recorded in 2015 doesn't make it any less amazing it's a great song (laughs) but i'm just telling you like it's not like a song that i was like it's quarantine and i'm gonna make this amazing hit it was like been sitting on a lot of my work because i have so much of it and i get depressed thinking that nobody cares about like small independent artists so i'm like what's the fucking point you know like how do you even get someone's attention you know all those things like everyone feels that way especially you know so so part of me was just like and also it was a very personal song it was a very like sad song and and i it was also like to me very it was initiatory and like for me feeling like i have to be this person that people look i cuz i realized there are at least like three people on the internet that listen to what i say and take it seriously and care about what i say and so that made me feel like responsible and so sometimes with my music too like I don't want to show my broken parts and then I realize like I got to do that because that's also a service to me and to others but no I think that whole thing where like remember when everybody was making sourdough bread (laughs) for like a month and then it was like no we're too depressed to keep making sourdough bread or or it's like now we made too much sourdough bread now we got to start our in-home workout routine to work out all this bullshit like It's just like, again, you have to, for me, I have to see it as an onslaught of marketing and algorithms. And I I just start to see it for what it is and be like, okay, this is happening, but it's not like 100% real life. And, you know, like the thought I used to beat myself up is like Toni Morrison was like a single mother with a full-time job who would wake up at 4 a.m. every morning and work on her novel you know and so i'm like shit but also like she didn't start publishing her novels till she was in like her late 30s early 40s and she she didn't win the nobel prize till she was in her 40s i just think that we are our millennial generation or like the gen uh, x generation like all of us were sold like this kind of 20th century dying empire you know version of reality and we're coping with that and our bodies are tired and we've done all the quote unquote right things and and it doesn't matter, you know? So for me, the weird thing for me too, is I feel like I, I manifest a lot more money, opportunities, creativity when I'm resting. Wow. I mean, that flies in the face of the narrative though, of, of the general narrative. When I realized that I was like, what's going on? Cause I like worked to the bone to barely survive for like years and was always barely surviving. And then like, I just like started to realize if I relaxed, then like so much more came my way and in the way I wanted it to and in higher quantities. And I was like, what's going on here? <laughs> like this is, like... <laughs> and I'm not saying that's, it's that way for everyone. It just started, like, I just realized that, and that got me curious about everything. And two, like the right now, so untethering from whiteness, we're doing we're doing ancestor work this coming Saturday. Today is uh, November 10th. So it'll be November 14th that we do ancestor work. And so I've been really doing a lot of research about medieval era Europe, you know, after the Roman Empire, after feudalism falls, because in those couple hundred years is where 
the mercantile class and the capitalist class starts to form and it starts to kind of solidify with the church and with the royalty. And that's where capitalism comes in and colonialism and, you know, the genocide of native people in the Americas, the transatlantic slave trade, all these things. So starting to try to understand, you know, who are my personal ancestors, what was going on that led to their worldview? How was whiteness created? And it's, you know, whiteness can't really exist without capitalism. It's kind of like it's whiteness is like the protector of the capitalist bourgeois class, sort of. And it's also the the like it's the place where the body kind of goes to die. And it's the place where all other bodies become otherized. And so for me, like learning about even just, you know, the witch burnings, which is a huge part of the history of Europe leading up to when many peoples of European ancestry, many of their ancestors came to the United States around uh, that era and after is like when colonialism started. You know, magic had to be stamped out because it allowed people to believe that they could get things without working without being forced to work, you know, like women and men, just like how there was a divide and conquer strategy, because, you know, whiteness wasn't created until Bacon's rebellion, when white European indentured servants and African enslaved people, as well as native people, rose up against their elite European overlords and had an uprising. That's when they created whiteness, you know, and so like, before that, in the homeland of Europe, Men and women had to be uh, stratified against each other and women needed to be burned, you know, and women needed to be disciplined. Women's bodies are the site of creativity. We literally create life. So are you going to create citizens who are communal, creative, you know, offering things or do you are you going to create the next wave of workers that we need to charge our, you know, machines? (laughs) So, you know, looking at the identity of whiteness has changed my view about abundance. It's changed my view about suffering. It's changed my view about productivity. Untethering from whiteness to, I think a lot of white folks claim that, you know, that they're spiritual and want to be like spiritual leaders, but they're enforcing, they're kind of like recreating white supremacy and patriarchy and capitalism in their spiritual practice. And I think everybody can be guilty of that. I certainly have been, I'm sure. But I also feel like you can't have, it's so hard to look at these broad things and not see that they've been co-opted by these larger agendas for power, you know? So for me, like to have those conversations about those things as if they are like separate, as if our lives are not inherently political, as if our lives are not like we always say, like, can we not talk about politics? Can we not talk about love? And it's like, okay, it's that would be like, can we not notice that there's a sky above us? <laughs> can we not mention the grass? <laughs> well, it's there. I mean, you can try and paint a painting of a scenery without grass, but it kind of is like what's holding up all this stuff right now. If you want it to be different, you have to acknowledge it. And you have to see where it lives in your body. And that's the piece that has transformed my relationship to a lot of all this stuff that we're speaking about of rest, rebirth, meaning making, suffering is how can my body, how can my relationship with my ancestors, how can my willingness to take responsibility for the space I take up and what it means give me that true authenticity? Because that's what I've been uncovering. I was like, oh, wow. 
the greatest gift of untethering from whiteness is, I mean, it's, it's a service to other people for sure, but it's helped me feel so much more grounded, so much more at ease, so much more authentic and clear. And like, I feel a sense of relief in my whole body because I don't have to hold up this charade anymore. I can just be with what is and let it, like I was saying, access me. And um, it also like, I'm okay to make mistakes. Like it's like, cause I'm fundamentally a human. I'm not trying to be some super supremacist, crazy, perfect, disembodied human. I like to be, I would really like to just be all this, this human. What is, what is your vision? I suppose, well, either of you can jump in on this because I think it's a great, it's a great segue into talking about white supremacy, capitalism, and these macro global systems. I just don't want to talk about the US. We're talking about global systems now that are dehumanizing people. On the other side of this, I guess I have two questions. One, there are some people who call for immediate dismantling of the machine as quickly as possible. Like for lack of a better terminology, let's detonate the thing and let it crumble and then rebuild something better versus slow incremental reform that leads to change over long periods of time. Number one, benefits or lack thereof to either approach, or is there some gray area in the middle? And then the second thing too is, what do we replace capitalism with? as it's tied to white supremacy, as it's tied to oppression, dehumanization? Is it something like a universal basic income? Is it something like we bring in more, quote, socialized programs like um, nationalized medicine? We're getting into specifics now, but I am curious of what the next evolution beyond these dehumanizing systems are. And, And starting with capitalism, what do you see as a more balanced, equitable, humanizing system beyond that? I'll speak on that a little bit. I think some of the things that you named are are great, but I think they're also dependent on like a lot of the like socialist policies which are great and I think that like they would serve and help a lot of people in the immediate are also based on constant production. They're based on taxing a very wealthy class of people, which means they would still you know what I mean? So they're kind of based on that these systems exist, but we just distribute the wealth more equally, which I think in the in the interim was is great. I'm not a politician, nor am I like a community planner or whatever. For me, I think most of us can't actually imagine any system of living beyond capital. Because again, even like I said, even some of these alternative programs are based on the presumption of a huge amassment of capital just distributed differently. And so for me, I think the reason that we can't imagine it is because we're so tethered to it, whatever it is. Like you really know you're locked into something when you literally cannot imagine something else or the only thing you can imagine is in opposition to, right? So essentially when you're creating reactionary things in opposition to something like fascism or communism, those are both a reaction to capitalism. You know, there are extreme reactions in either direction to capitalism's failures, right? And so what you're doing when you're creating a system out of not wanting is you're creating kind of out of a negative. So you can't, you, and, and in a way you're sort of replicating, you're taking the tenets of something and just sort of reversing them, right? And I'm not trying to say that that's what either of those systems actually do. Like, I'm just trying to use oversimplifications to kind of, because if I actually answered your question, it might take like 
literally like 10 hours to do. <laughs> so, uh, but I think like literally people, you know, we have indigenous people, we have examples of cooperative, you know, democ- even just democracy. We could even just take up democracy. What if you had democracy in your workplace? You know, like what if you had, you know what I mean? Like we kind of only leave democracy for our elections. And even then it's through proxies. So there's just like so many ways that we could just start in our local communities of of communal living, of feeling connected to place, of having conversations. Most of us don't even know the people who live near us. Like we don't know the land that we're on. We don't know who the natives are that lived here. You know, like we don't we don't know our actual history. We don't know the names of our ancestors. We don't know the names of the places that they come from. We don't know the stories of our lineages. So like we don't have a rooted place to begin to imagine something different. We're not in that womb space yet. We're still kind of outside of the body. And and I think we can't rebirth if we can't actually be situated in the body. And so to answer your question, I would just say like, I think people are still so invested in this system and so deeply controlled by it that they cannot begin. They don't even have the creative energy to imagine something else. And if they do, then they're like subversive or they're problematic or they're this or that, or it's immediately, it's like, well, that could never work. That could never this. That it's like, so people are very afraid of their own imagination and of their own creative power. And people, again, if they're not willing to uproot these systems within their bodies and their spiritual practice are just going to continue to replicate more shinier, you know, versions of them, you know, and with like more, you know, terms, you know, they can just put like, they can just say, oh, diversity, uh, BIPOC. It's like, okay, wow, good for you. You know, some words, <laughs> it's still the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, and I'm not saying that like trying isn't bad, but it's like, People are so locked in. I just don't think that I think that what you're talking about, what you're suggesting is great, but it like it belies all this other work that most people don't even they're too exhausted and overworked to even think about. Okay. So this is going to be what comes up for me is it feels as if a lot of the systems on the planet are unnecessarily complicated, but perhaps have been set up. I think about this a lot to keep certain people from benefiting from those systems, a la the financial system, uh, stock market, futures, all of those things, a lot of the healthcare system. I mean, one thing that I'm meditating on right now is the length of time I'm waiting for my surgery because of the politics and the hoops and the ways that the healthcare system I'm with is set up. And then I think about people who are in a completely different economic bracket than me or or a different race than me or whatever is happening with them where they're waiting months for a surgery or can't even afford it because they don't even have coverage. They can't afford healthcare coverage. I guess what I'm saying is, Kate, is like, it seems to me that there are a lot of societal systems that are in place that are so complex and so weighed down with injustice baked in that only a few people can actually benefit and take advantage of what the system offers because of the ways they've been set up, right? It's like, holy shit, like these things have been created to benefit and have access to a very small group of people. And it seems to me that as we change the languaging or we kind of reimagine the the systems that have come before and we're just using different terminology or having some mutated version of it, we're not actually getting to the root of some of the exclusionary sort of frameworks of these systems. I feel sometimes like a sense of hopelessness. Like I'm just going to say it, like there are times where I'm like, are we as human society like 
are we are we really fucked? Because sometimes it feels like we're really fucked, like collectively. <laughs> like, and and I don't like to sit in that space, but I do. I don't know why I'm laughing. <laughs> I do. Oh, I'm glad you're laughing yeah. because, like, sometimes I'm like, this shit is fucked. It is. It totally. Let's just say it. This shit is fucked. It's fucked. But what I'll say is, people aren't fucked. There are good, beautiful, amazing people who are shoved into inhumane, bureaucratic, ineffective systems who are, you know, again, too exhausted to fight back, who have been quelled, who have had their creative sexual energy stomped out for generations, who are tethered to identities that aren't true to them. I mean, are we fucked? I guess. But also maybe again, like I'm I don't feel the need to make those proclamations. I can make those observations. But for me, it's my thing is, and this is just part of my spiritual practice and it's part of my outlook is like, that is true, but it's not the only true thing. So I find myself saying that to myself, to my community, to my friends, to my clients a lot, which is like, that is absolutely true. We are fucked. There's a crazy bureaucracy that's incredibly inefficient, that's trying, but it's failing and it's co-opted by all these other things. But what's also true is that you and I are having this conversation. What's also true is you will get the care that you need. What's also true is that we have more access to care than we've ever had. We have more capital than we've ever had. What's also true is that people are marching and people are paying attention and people are caring in ways that they haven't before. People are planting seeds uh, for trees, for flowers that may never, ever bloom in their lifetime. So it's bigger than we're fucked. It's both. It's like we're fucked. And also there's so much hope, but there's so much hopelessness. They're both valid. I guess that's not a satisfactory answer. But I laugh because there's just an absurdity to the whole thing that is you got to laugh a little bit or you can have an angry cry. You know, I think, again, like I'm not here to tell anyone how to feel, nor uh, for me, like I just know I'm not the person that is necessarily going to erect the new newer, you know, more community-based systems, but I am the person that's going to nurture and be the ancestor of the people who do. And I am going to be the person that's going to untether now and say, you know, this ends with me and my bloodline. Like anyone that comes from me or is nurtured by me is going to be gifted whatever labor I've done. And I hope that it changes them for the better. And so I don't have an answer. Like it is, it's absurd. It's ridiculous. It's not cool. You know, like people, you know, the government's going to fucking they're they're holding people's, you know, slim, like, you know, dismal stimmy checks and they're withholding unemployment from people. When Jeff Bezos has a hundred billion dollars and Mark Zuckerberg is just, you know, loving us being on our big fucking phones, all these rich white dudes who feel so entitled to their wealth, you know, and it'd be, you know, and that's that's the one of the premises of neoliberalism that we're living under is that for wealthy people, it's oppressive for them to have to consider that the people who give them their wealth, i.e. their consumers and their workers need things from them like rights and health care. <laughs> they feel oppressed. That's like the Koch brothers and the neoliberal, you know, which both the Democrats and the Republicans are neoliberal. I didn't know we would talk so much about politics, but it is relevant. We did just have an election. But yeah, like it's it's, uh, you know, so you have to understand that there are people in this world who feel oppressed, that other people in this world exist who have less than them and need something. That's their idea of oppression. That's like the whole two plus two equals five type shit. 
you know? And I think you can only do that when you're disembodied, disconnected. You can only have that level of entitlement when you don't understand what it means to be human. And there's many things that lead lead up to that. And so I know for me, I feel a lot of hope because what you and I are speaking about, people have been speaking about for a long time. And there's beautiful bodies of work about this. It's not what you hear about in the memes. You're not going to hear about it on the news. But communities are getting together all the time and talking about these things and creating change. And so what I think people are lacking, though, is the energy, like the actual psychic, sexual, creative energy to, to do it. And that, to me, is rooted in a world that wants to disembody you and take you out of your spiritual empowerment and sovereignty. To me, that has to come from a spiritual practice. Might not be the case for everyone else, but for me, I know that that's where true liberation has lived for me. Yeah, it's it's a tough place to be. I'm curious because I don't know if, if you and I ever have ever talked about this, Whitney, but as we get close to kind of wrapping this episode, are there times you that you feel hopeless with? I don't know if I've ever actually ever asked you this, but if you do, how do you get past those feelings or wrestle with those feelings? Well, I feel blessed not to experience hopelessness very often. So in this moment, it feels hard to even relate to those emotions, I suppose. I think I just, in this moment, it feels like my best coping mechanism is to breathe through it and to let it pass and to focus on something positive or just let myself feel that emotion. You know, it's it's not rushing through any pain or fear that I'm experiencing and crying if it, if that feels necessary or sleeping, like rest usually helps me a lot. And I guess it just feels easier as I practice that and have that go-to and giving myself that permission to slow down and tune in and and um, just kind of wait it out because I've been through it before. And it doesn't overtake me usually, at least in this moment. It's interesting because I feel like similar to physical pain, I forget what emotional pain is really like. It's like that amnesia, which also might be a coping mechanism, is we remember moments of feeling physical or emotional pain, but it's hard to remember exactly what it was like because they've already passed and we're in this present moment now. And pain is interesting like that. So I'm fortunate right now where I don't feel hopeless. (laughs) And I think that's what really matters. And then setting myself up with more mindfulness and awareness and self-care and and knowing that I can turn to that. And I think ultimately acceptance is the big key. The more that I recognize that it's okay and that other people feel that way and we're in, in many ways in this together, the stronger I feel in those weak moments. It was beautifully stated. I think one thing that I, I want to maybe as we shuttle toward closer to the finish line is the subject of essential work, right? There's been kind of this cultural narrative of we're going to put healthcare workers and delivery drivers and Amazon warehouse workers and and a, a litany of certain people in this category of quote essential. And at the same time, as people are at their homes watching Netflix, listening to records, watching online concerts or archival footage, there's been such an incredible, I suppose, lack of support for independent music venues or artists or having safety nets for artists and things like that. And 
it's like the more I talk to people about what's keeping them sane other than their spiritual practice is like their music, their favorite artists, seeing reality through the lens of an artist's interpretation of what's going on. Yet society doesn't consider like what we all do as quote essential. It doesn't mean that we don't feel what we're offering the world is essential. But I think it's interesting to think about as we navigate our way through this pandemic and this cultural metamorphosis we're all going through is how to how to navigate the world as artists coming out of this. You know, it's something that I sit with of I'm not really quite sure where where my art is going or where my voice is going. I feel like I'm I am in this rebirth period, but my fear sometimes leans into like, but what if we don't have any music venues left? Or I guess we're just going to have to like meet in the middle of the woods somewhere and get some boulders and tree stumps and like do it like our ancestors did it. And I don't know that I have a question here at the end of the podcast so much as like, you know, where does the fortitude come from as artists and healers and creators to weather the storms that we're all in? economically, spiritually, living in a society that doesn't consider us essential, that isn't really supporting us? I don't know. I guess it's just kind of an open-ended question. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. It makes me think too, I posted a quote and I think you responded to it, which is creative work is essential work. Yes. Yeah. 100%. You, you, I think you, you like commented on it. You, you said something or yeah. And a lot of people reposted it, which made me feel really happy. And, and I'm not trying to say that what musicians and artists do is the same as what folks who are working in hospitals right now are, are, or, you know, uh, grocery stores, what they're doing. And I think if you have any kind of heart or brain, you can understand that. But what I was trying to say is that sort of, you know, coming back to what you mentioned in the, in the beginning of the, the podcast is that, when we're talking, well, and I would also say when we're talking about essential work, we're talking about essential to maintaining things as they are, you know, maintaining an order. Creative people and artists and every person who gives themselves permission to be creative, we are essential to creating the new. We are essential to lighting that little path in the dark womb space of rebirth. We are the ones who walk you through the rebirth of your life. We hold that creative power that has enough fortitude, I love that word, and faithfulness to stay with the journey, uh, to see through to something different instead of just recreating. And so my life and my work, I believe, is essential. And there's plenty of people who won't give themselves permission to be that much in themselves to, you know, who will be like, hey, you're not essential. It's like, okay, fine. Like just because you haven't given yourself permission to be this much doesn't mean that I shouldn't or that I, I'm not essential in that. And you're right. I have also felt very victimy about being like an artist because I was like, wow, people just, they always want what we have to offer, but they, they do not want to value it at all. It's very annoying. It's very, and even as a spiritual teacher or people are always trying to like insinuate that it's wrong that I get paid to do what I do. And I'm just like, oh, ew, whoa. <laughs> like, first of all, I have to get paid to do what I do because I live in a capitalist society. I'm doing work. I have to get paid for it. Like that wasn't my idea. That's how it works for now. 
And I deserve, because I believe I'm essential, I deserve to survive and thrive. So thank you very much for that. But like, you know, I think when when we get into these conversations, it's it's a beautiful opportunity to see where people have limited themselves, where people have decided what's essential and what's allowed to survive within them and what they've had to kill off in as what they believe is essential or not. You know, and for some people that's, you know, excessive practicality and conforming and you know for me that was just never an option you know i come from my whole family is very much like what what are you doing how does that even exist why are you doing what you're doing you know like so i'm i i just already know like the essential work conversation didn't hurt my feelings cuz i already have been told my whole life that what i do is not essential it's not that important and when am i going to put my toys away and get a real job and do all this stuff so i so i just like i just know like all that already and i'm like and i realized i was like that's cool like you guys are going to reveal to me your limiting beliefs and rather than feel victimized by that i'm just going to feel compassionate for you and i'm just going to let it roll off of me because it doesn't actually change my world that much um but in this time of pandemic then it has real consequences. It's like, oh yeah, okay. So just like all our venues are going to just go away and we're just going to continue to make that bald white guy from Spotify rich and his his you know staff of people who have never created anything who can do algorithms and make playlists. We're going to keep making them rich while we make you know barely any money off of millions of streams. Cool. Because again, it's like, creativity is where revolution happens. So if you try to flatten it and you try to commercialize it, so only the like most flattened kind of most lowest common denominator, non-nuanced art can be valued. You know, um, only the art that reinforces certain narratives. And I'm not like shitting on popular music. I love it. Like I sing that WAP song like constantly. I'm, I'm so, I love it. I'm all about it. Oh yes, I do. Well, it's just, it's, you know, for me, even if it has to be like the, the, like, I just love Cardi B is, is all I'll say. Um, and I love like for how, whatever people say about her, how problematic she is or what, I don't care. I just think she's great. She brings me joy. And I do like that she talks politics and she was all down for Bernie and everything like that. Um, but, but yeah, so, so for me, it's like when you were saying essential work, it's like essential to what? I'm not saying I don't understand intellectually that folks who work in hospitals during a time of pandemic are essential to getting us through a pandemic. But let's be clear, like that's what we're saying. Essential work to essentially get us through our pandemic and bring us back to an essential normal so the machine keeps going the way it went. That's what essential work is essential to. And that's valuable. But I don't allow that to be like, I don't allow that to to dictate whether I'm essential. I just, that's laughable to me. And, but I do have those moments too. The, the beauty of this time is like, wow, you're not that important. There's, there's relief in that, but your ego is like, but then it's like, but then, and so sometimes I'm like, what's the point? Like nobody came to this workshop or like only few people did this and or even with untethering from whiteness, that that really broke my heart because it was like, well, all these white people were posting about, you know, anti-racism and reading books and like barely anybody's showing up to this workshop because they don't want to do 
embodied labor. They want to learn intellectual concepts and they want to know what the right words are to say so they can essentially go back to normal for themselves. Right. And, um, you know, so, 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 and I, and I, I, again, like I could get mad about that or I could be like, again, like, I feel like my work is, it's essential. I know it helps people through. And you, you graciously told me that it's had, it's allowed you to have some beautiful experiences. But I also believe that my work is going to serve people like beyond just this moment in time. And it might, if I'm lucky, serve people that I'll never meet that, you know, that, that I might even be dead, you know, like, so, you know, I feel like I'm building a legacy as an ancestor. I feel like that's what I'm here for. And so I'm not as shaken up by what's essential in this moment. I can understand what's essential in this moment without having it dictate my value. Um, But I would also say like our lives are precarious and people really don't get that. I'm always kind of like dumbfounded. There's a strange thing of just like, oh, you enjoy your work. Well, then you should suffer. And you should be poor for enjoying your work and feeling passionate about your work. You know, like, and and what they're really saying is, well, if I don't get to have that level of self-realization and satisfaction, if I have to be shackled to the system, you should too. And it's like, oh, that's how you feel. Cool. Once again, you're revealing to me your limitations. and, And instead of allowing myself to take your word as the word, and feel victimized by your limitations, I'm just going to hold space for you and just see you. You're hurting and you bought into this shit. And I understand why, because to walk the path I'm walking is very difficult and it's not for everybody, for sure. And I think a lot of, a lot of people like, there's a lot of like, you know, rich parents, kids in LA that are doing like art and they're doing fine. But some other people who were kind of thinking that they could get by in that way kind of realized like, no, nah, this is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, I and I used to feel like about it. And now I'm like, no, nah, like, listen, I just keep getting better each year. I keep becoming more and more essential. My life gets more and more juicy. My journey becomes more and more yummy and fun and abundant and weird and strange. And I believe that I'm essential to creating the future that my future ancestors can hopefully survive. I I think I'm essential to helping us walk through this huge next decade. And I don't think I'm essential as in me alone. I'm part of a group. I'm part of a community. I'm part of a movement that's going to be essential to building and rising to the occasion of what is going to transpire. Because I don't believe the pandemic is the first instance of what's going to happen through this decade. Well said, Kate. And I think think it's it's also like this looking at the long game, right? As you talk about- You have to. This work resonating far beyond your lifetime. If you're going to be a creative person, I'm saying like they're going to tell you to make shit for like the interim mm-hmm. and you can do that, but it'll kill your soul. You need to be able to sustain your journey. I mean, that's that's how I talk about my art. That's how I talk about untethering. And, and even Sound Spirit is like, this is a marathon. We're not sprinting it with the shit. Like this is so that's why you actually need self-care, not because it's like, I want to have this, you know, spa retreat. It's because you need rest. You you need rest so you can find out what you actually think and how you actually feel 
And you can be in your own beingness long enough to to see that the system and the identity is not actually the same as who you truly are and your higher self. They're not the same. Like you have to start to distinguish which voice is actually yours. And you can't do that if you're in a constant, constant just barrage of other people's bullshit. So you have to take time that's quiet, that's frivolous, that's meaningless to find out. You know, you have to sit in your pain sometimes. I wish you weren't right now, Jason, but like this is part of it. This is part of being alive on this planet. And so for me, my I'm sustained by when I let go of, I was like, oh, I'm 31. Like I can't possibly be a sexy ingenue pop star. That's dead. I gave up my rock star dreams. My rock star dreams are like rock star dreams that are like music and all this other work. It's very expansive and it's much more Kate. You know, it's much more me. You know, I had to be like, do I really resonate with what I'm supposed to do with these supposed set of talents that I'm only allowed to use these? Does that actually resonate with me? And most of us don't know how to answer that question because we don't even know who me actually is. So I would say, like, if you're a person who's struggling right now with, are you essential? What is the future of your work? Instead of using this time to be productive, quote unquote, I would use this time to be indulgent. Go for a walk, take a nap, read a book, attend a workshop that makes you uncomfortable. That's shameless self-promotion right now for me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, like just get juicy. Yeah. Get juicy, get moist. <laughs> you know, I love that word. And just really marinate in yourself and see how much of your own authenticity you can even stand. You know, like it will be painful and it will be joyful. And at the end of it, you'll have something worth sharing and something that's worth leading you. Your compass will not be spinning anymore. You'll see like a direction, even if you don't know what it is. So I hope that that is nourishing for anyone who's listening, who's like, what the hell is going on? What are they even talking about? Like, I just will say to to them and to you and Whitney, you know, you are doing this. You got this. You're doing a great job. You are exactly where you belong. You have always belonged. And you are essential in this beautiful, horrible, painful, glorious moment of your life. And don't ever forget that. And when you do, find those things that help you remember or those things that just let you laugh at the absurdity of it all. That doesn't make you any less spiritual. Just like we did before we started this episode and (laughs) uh, before we hit the record button. For everyone who, who wanted to know, off mic, it started with uh, burps and farts. Yes. So, <laughs> so to, to Kate's point, you know, we have to inject an element of of levity to all of this. Yeah. Whitney, you said so, you got to breathe. Well, you got to exhale too, girl. Gotta okay. Breathe. We got to exhale. <laughs> <laughs> and we exhale in many ways. And that is also essential. Let me tell you. Because if you didn't, you would know. Okay. <laughs> It is. It's 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 the whole thing. It's it's taking the work seriously, but also being able to laugh. You have to. You have to. Oh my god, you have to. I don't trust any spiritual people that are like extra super serious ten thousand percent of the time. Cause I'm like, you did you do your shadow work? Are you taking yourself are you believing your own bullshit right now? <laughs> yeah. Are you drinking your own Kool-Aid right now? Because, you know, if you do enough of your shadow work and you do enough of this like uncovering, you're just like, oh. Lol. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, and legit. I mean, it's it's just the tip of the iceberg. Like like Kate, I've had the pleasure of doing a, a workshop with you, and and obviously being a huge fan of everything you're doing. And I know there's so there's so much more. So if if the listener wants to go. 10,000 levels deeper with Kate. If she has resonated with you today, you got to check out her amazing website. It's katefaust.com. We will link to that in the show notes. Her amazing podcast, The Sound Spirit, all of the workshops that she does melding. And that's on the soundspirit.com. Soundspirit.com. Awesome. And then of course, she mentioned untethering from whiteness. You can also work with her one-on-one. You're just an incredible offering to this world. So as we're wrapping up here, I just, I want to thank you for giving us a a taste, an appetizer here of your offerings and your perspectives. And, and you are just such a deep, loving, generous soul. And, uh, and you're a gift to my life. And and we just want to thank you for being here on the podcast and, and giving our listeners a whole lot to chomp on today. Thank you so much. I am receiving like your kind words. And yeah, when I do the work I do is as I imagine you do, because you're also a deeply generous, creative soul. You don't always think that people, I'm never thinking that people take it that seriously or they get it, but they do, you know, and it's so heartening. And it's again, that's what helps me to move forward on those days where I'm like, does this even matter? Just hearing you say that I'm allowing myself to take that in and be like, yes, Yes, Kate, keep going, you know, and so I I hope Jason, on your journey of healing, that you also know that you're deeply essential in this world. And you have an ancestor that's walking right beside you. Mm -hmm. We had that experience with her. And you are just so both of you, Whitney and Jason, I've really benefited from these uncomfortable conversations you've had. So thank you both so much for the work that you do. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 